government is overhauling student visas as part of its wider project to create a points-based immigration system. From the 5th of October, the familiar Tier 4 routes are no more, and new sections of the immigration rules will apply to visas for study in the UK. But is this purely a rebranding exercise, or do these new student visa rules mean significant change? To answer that question, I'm joined by Tom Brett-Young of Veal Wasbro Vizard. Hiya, Tom. Hi, CJ. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. But uh, since you are not one of our regular free movement contributors, Tom, we must uh, establish your credentials, as it were, to uh, to appear. You are a partner uh, at VWV, and you've recently delivered training on student migration to the Immigration Law Practitioners Association, which is usually a sign that somebody knows what they're talking about. What was that uh, training about? <laughs> yeah, well, it's always important to check someone's credentials, CJ, so uh, no offence uh, taken. Um, yeah, I-, I was speaking at a session during ILPA's uh, annual conference on uh, sponsor licensing law. Um, the conference generally focuses on spon- sponsor licensing issues, but uh, most practitioners who attend uh primarily interested in work-based sponsorship. My practice has a bit of a broader base and so as well as advising on tier two I also advise uh, universities, independent schools on their tier four duties. So I was tasked with giving uh, attendees of the conference an overview of tier four and specifically how it uh, differs from from tier two. Oh that's handy, you can give us that potted summary perhaps of the student visa system, just a a, a very quick overview of the tier four system as it exists today before we get into the changes that are coming about under these uh, new rules recently introduced. Yeah, sure. So uh, t- tier four actually came into being uh, slightly later than uh, the uh, rest of the points-based system, which, which was brought in uh, back in November 2008. T- tier four didn't really come into being until about six months later. Um, uh, the, the, the main feature of tier four is is probably very similarly to, to to tier two, that someone who wants to come to the UK for the purposes of study needs the education provider that they'll be studying with to sponsor their visa application. So the, the education provider does that by issuing the student a uh, confirmation of acceptance for studies or, or CAS, as it's more sort of commonly known. Um, uh, that's issued to the student and then, then they use that to make their, uh, their visa application. Uh, t- tier fours split into two categories you've got tier four child which is for uh, students under the age of 18 who are coming to study at uh, independent schools and then you've got the much 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 larger tier four general category which is for students over the age of, of 16 uh, who are coming to study at, at private and publicly funded uh, colleges and, and and universities education providers who want to sponsor students need need a license as a, as a tier two sponsor does um and it's probably worth mentioning that one of the fundamental differences between tier four and sponsorship under under the other categories is that the Home Office carry out uh, an annual assessment on tier four sponsors, which looks at, amongst other things, v- visa refusal rates. So tier four sponsors need to have a probably a much better understanding of the way that tier four visas are assessed than, say, a tier two sponsor would do, because if those visa refusal rates creep up too much, then then sanctions can be taken against them. And under the new rules that are coming in from the 5th of October, is that basic system that you've just described changed out of all recognition, or is it basically the same thing, just tweaked a little bit? 
it, it's it's the latter really cj yeah it's it's broadly the same we've still got two categories for, for one for child students one for uh th- those who are studying who are older who aren't at independent schools still need an education sponsor um uh the course and uh, qualification have to meet certain specified standards uh there are financial requirements english language requirements uh so yeah it, it, the, the structure is, is is broadly the same in terms of the requirements um probably worth mentioning without, without going into too much detail though that how the new rules are being structured um and some some of these recommendations come from uh, a recent report from the law commission on simplifying the immigration rules so so what we'll have is separate appendices for the different immigration categories and, and i think we can expect that to follow into the uh the relaunches of the tier two or, or skilled worker categories and all of the other uh, categories which are being launched so we'll have uh, appendix cs for child student, uh, appendix st for student however you want to uh, break that acronym down if you can um, and, then, and then the new rules also introduce separate appendices for the atas requirements the academic technology approval scheme uh, uh financial requirements and uh english language but but broadly uh if you're an applicant applying under those categories you're looking to the main appendices appendix st or appendix cs depending on which category you're coming under Okay, well, that's where people can look up those new rules as of the 5th of October. But let's turn to the specifics of what they say. And we should start with something that may seem obvious, but is very significant. So we ought to reiterate it, which is that EU students will now need a visa to study in the UK from next year and will come under these student visa rules. Yes, absolutely. And and, uh, that's probably uh, the reason why there aren't any significant changes. You know, existing sponsors are going to have enough to contend with in terms of an increased volume of sponsorship activity uh, if they also had to contend with lots of uh, 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 changes to the to the details of the rules. Then I think that would be uh, quite an exercise, quite an exercise for them. So, so, So under the new rules, EU students if they're outside of the UK, can apply now, but their 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 immigration permission, their visas won't be valid uh, to start running until the first of January. And if an EU or a, a, a EEA or Swiss national is in the UK currently and they try to apply under these new rules after the fifth of October, actually their application will be rejected, and that's obviously because they should be applying under the settlement scheme instead. Well, that's positive for people, I suppose, that they don't go down the wrong route when they could get easier permission to stay under the settlement scheme. Let's turn then to other changes. Apart from the EU angle, what would you say is the biggest change in the rules uh, when they change in October? So I've, I've already mentioned the structure, and I think that's that's quite a sort of fundamental change uh but beyond that uh i think perhaps the biggest change and, and probably one more for practitioners than for uh applicants although it obviously will impact on on applicants uh is the introduction of uh, eligibility rules which will lead to applications being uh, invalidated um and specifically that those uh, eligibility rules uh provide that if you don't apply with a valid CAS, confirmation of acceptance for studies, or if you're applying to switch from the wrong category, if you're already in the UK, then your application will be considered to be invalid and 
you don't therefore get a refusal your application is just treated as though it was as though it was never made and what's the significance of that just to spell it out yeah sure so so the the, the significance perhaps more for uh applicants in country is that sometimes you need to make an application before uh, your, uh, your 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 sponsor has issued a, a, a CAS, um, uh, or maybe you're switching from a category you wouldn't normally expect to, and you're hoping that your status will be protected uh, while that application is being being uh, considered under Section Three C of the uh, Seventy One Act. Uh, but without that protection, that means that that people will become become overstayers. I mean, the, the Home Office are trying to sort of spin this as a, a a positive change for applicants. It means that applicants applications that were always bound to be refused will be refunded their application fee rather than rather than losing it. So there are some positives, and I suppose also it means that people will have fewer uh, refusals that they'll have to declare uh, on UK visa application forms uh, in, in in the future. Although. I do wonder if we'll start seeing questions on immigration forms asking if you've ever been rejected uh, for having made an application. But uh, that remains to be seen. So, so you know, there are some positives of of that those validity rules. But I think I think the biggest concern really is over applications being uh, be, be, being rejected and someone becoming an overstayer when they'd, they'd hope to have the protection of of, uh, of of statutory leave. That's certainly well worth being aware of for sure. But there are lots of other changes here that are entirely positive. For example, it will now be easier to switch on to this new look student visa if you're already in the UK compared to switching on to tier four today. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yes, sw- switching should be, be, be much easier uh, under these new rules. Um, the, the way the rules work switching provisions are now expressed in in the in the negative i suppose so uh there is a list of categories which you can't switch from un- unlike under the current rules where uh there is a much narrower uh list of categories which you can switch from so for example un- under the new rules um you could switch from the current tier 1 categories w- w- within which i include uh global talent uh, innovator startup perhaps more significantly uh, the current tier five categories so youth mobility charity workers authorized exchange schemes which are, are temporary short-term categories uh, w- will allow switching so someone who comes on a youth mobility scheme uh, visa and decides they want to stay to, to do their degree here or or or, or uh, further postgraduate studies would be able to switch without having to leave the uk so i, th- I think that's that's positive and what's on the negative list of visas that you can't switch from if you know off the top of your head no no yeah that's that's fine uh, so you can't switch from the seasonal worker category um uh, that that's that's been closed off perhaps more significantly though short-term students so someone who's come for a uh, english course of up to 11 months or or uh, a, a course in another subject of less than six months or, or even just standard visitors so those people will still under these rules need to leave the uk and apply overseas under the student rules other changes you can or you will now be able to apply for your student visa further in advance of your course starting or your term at an independent school starting six months in advance rather than three months in advance today. Is that a big deal? Uh, maybe. <laughs> um, it's... Um... Uh, so 
I, I think the reason they've introduced this, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it is not a negative change. It does mean that people can sort of plan their lives a bit further ahead. Um, at, at the moment, uh, there's a bit of a disconnect. So a, a confirmation of acceptance for studies can be assigned up to uh, six months before the course starts, but the visa application can't be submitted until three months before the course starts. So you've got education providers, tier four sponsors, either holding on to the cases or sending them to the individuals who they're sponsoring and sort of pleading with them not to make their application until uh, until it's three months out. So I think that's that. You know, it's, it's, it's not 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 a bad that bad thing. But uh, all the tier four sponsors who I've spoken to about this so far uh, are you know, pretty nonplus about it. No one's particularly excited by it. I have to say. Fair enough. More of a tidying up exercise perhaps that one what about the rules on maintenance those have also been liberalized a bit more flexibility there is that a bit more exciting yes yeah and 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 certainly for uh in in country applications i mentioned earlier that they've introduced uh, a new appendix finance and on the face of it you would think that's replacing the current um, Appendix C, which deals with the maintenance funds requirements for all points-based system requirements. Actually, what Appendix Finance does is really just deal with the uh, sort of technicalities of uh, when funds will be accepted, what format the funds must be held in, uh, uh, format of bank statements, uh, those sorts of things. But it's actually Appendix CS and Appendix ST that we need to look at in terms of how long the funds need to be held for and uh, what, what level of funds uh, need, need to be held. But the, the biggest change is that any student or child student who's applying in-country to extend their stay, uh, and if they've been in the UK for 12 months uh, prior to that point, uh, then they'll automatically meet the financial requirements. So they won't need to sub- submit any evidence of, of, of finances. Um, uh, but but otherwise, the requirements are, are broadly the same other than under the differentiation requirements, which are arrangements put in place a few years ago to make applications by nationals of certain countries, specified countries, slightly more straightforward. They don't need to provide as much evidence with their student visa applications, including evidence of their finances. Um, that th- Those arrangements are continuing under the new rules. Um, and in addition to the list of countries which are just being transposed over from the existing rules, we've also got all of the uh, EEA countries and, and Switzerland. So uh, they, they'll all benefit from those those arrangements as well. These points that we've covered so far then are also the ones that we've highlighted in our existing coverage of the changes on the website. Are there any other ones that you wanted to highlight that we didn't touch on uh, there? So yeah, a few, few, few little changes probably worth 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 highlighting. So under the English language requirements, if someone's got a GCSE or A level in English that was awarded while they were studying at school in the UK and under the age of eighteen, then they they can rely on that in order to satisfy the English language requirement, um, which won't affect necessarily those. Um, students who've been here at independent schools and are uh, just extending their, st- their their studies, moving on to university, because that th- they already were exempt from the English language uh, requirements, but will affect will affect some people who've been educated here uh, uh, as as school pupils and then are coming back to the UK, for example, um, to resume their studies, their their degree level studies at a at a, at a later date. Um, but probably more significance uh, of the 
time limits for postgraduate students. So under the current rules, there are rules about how long student leave can be granted at each particular sort of stage of, of, of academic studies. For postgraduate studies uh, under the new rules, there, there aren't going to be any time limits, although there will still be rules on uh, academic progression. So um, sponsors will still need to assess whether the student is sort of progressing with their studies or just trying to waste as much time as they can before they get to the magic uh, 10 year uh, long re- long residence point. Uh, what else have we got? Well, well, the student dependent rule. So some some uh, dependents can accompany uh, students uh, in in certain circumstances. Uh, we don't have separate rules for those. Those are now incorporated into Appendix ST. Uh, so that's probably something to look out for under the under the next lot of rules that are published for skilled workers and and, and so on. Uh, there won't be sort of a separate dependence appendix um uh, as there sort of is uh in part eight of the rules now w- what we'll have is each separate category having its own dependent rules which is, is a slight concern we, we might see those uh, rules diverge over time not necessarily uh by design perhaps more by by accident ah so if you're a dependent of a worker the rules for you might end up being different than if you're a dependent of a student yeah, I mean, obviously we haven't had those rules yet, so we'll see just how different they are. I mean, I imagine they'll be fairly similar to begin with, but yeah, as I say, the concern is that maybe in the future they'll forget to change something and you might, uh, it's the rule of unintended consequences, isn't it? Someone might uh, find that uh, where their dependents could accompany them while they were a student, they try to extend their stay as a skilled worker and find that a baby isn't able to extend or, or something similar. Um and, and then just the, the one last thing I wanted to sort of flag, which is again perhaps one of interest more to practitioners than than, than anybody else, is um, is, a, is a change in terminology. So we're no longer uh, the rules don't any longer refer to leave to enter or remain. They instead now refer to permission to enter uh, or permission to stay. Well, hopefully that will be helpful for individual applicants because it's more descriptive of what you're getting than the more old-fashioned language. Taking a step back then from the specifics, what's your overall assessment, your overall take of uh, the new system? Yeah, I, I, I think you may maybe judge from my tone. I mean, on, on the whole, I, I think they're to be welcomed. Uh, the, the new formatting is, is definitely going to make things easier to, to comprehend and digest, I think, particularly for, for, for lay applicants. As I said, I, I am concerned about the approach to uh, validity of, of of applications, but yeah, on on the whole, I think that uh, I think I think they've got to be got to be welcomed. I mean, I, I would say that the the rules are you know pr- pretty pretty extensive, um, and yeah, will we'll need to be sort of studied in uh, in in detail by those who are who are relying on them. Well, absolutely, we give no warranty that we've gone into every nook and cranny of uh, the new changes but I wanted to pick up on something you said at the outset about the rules being structured in line with a simplification project driven by the law commission and I've got a quote here from the home office saying that the new rules are supposed to create a simplified pathway through the UK's education system. Do you think they've succeeded in that? Yeah, I've seen that quote as well, CJ, and it's difficult to know precisely what they're referring to. I mean, I guess 
uh, you know, it will be easier to to switch. So uh, I suppose that makes things a bit more simplified and, and is relating to the, the pathway. Um, you, you might have seen in the further detail statement that was published early in the summer that under the student category that the uh, government suggests they might consider splitting the student category into uh, FE, further education and HE, higher education categories. So again, that would sort of indicate through the naming of the categories that things are a bit more sort of simplified and relates to the pathway. And, and, and of course, we've got the graduate route coming in next summer. So you can see the pathway for someone who's a sort of longer term student in the UK where they are here at an independent school and uh, are on the child student visa and then they move on to university and get the student visa uh, and then they graduate and move on to the graduate visa uh, and then they find a sponsor and they become a skilled worker. So yeah, there's a, there's a sort of pathway, not just through the education system, through the immigration system for those, for those people. You've said that your practice as a lawyer involves advising universities, independent schools, institutions that are sponsoring students. So when you've been talking to those institutions over the past few weeks, when they've been coming to you saying, Tom, what's up with these new rules? What do we need to do? Uh, what have you been saying to them? Well, well here, I suppose I t- t- take a leaf out of uh, out of the Hitchhiker's Guide. And uh, you know, the advice is, you know, don't panic. Um, I, I think for the most part, uh, particularly with independent schools, that, that there hasn't been an awful lot of change as far as the child student rules are concerned. So really, it's just a case of, of, of treating it as an exercise in cha- changing terminology, I suppose. Universities, as, as, as I've mentioned, the, the rules are you know quite complicated in, in, in some places in relation to specific types of courses. So, I mean, really, I think universities need to have a look at the new rules and think about the courses that they are sponsoring students under just to check that, uh, I suppose, there's anything else, that nothing's been left out of the new rules that uh, should should have been incorporated, but for one reason or another, they've forgotten to, to transpose over. So, uh, uh, yeah, they, 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 I, I think for uh, higher education providers, they, they will need to sort of perhaps look at the rules in a bit more detail. But otherwise, I think you know the, the rules are generally pa- positive, and it, it's it's not something they need to particularly panic over. A broadly positive assessment, then. But there's an elephant in the room that we haven't really addressed, which is that we've been living for the last decade or more in a world where demand for student visas is very high universities and schools have sponsored lots of overseas students and are now have become very reliant on the income that they bring in in fees we're now living in coronavirus world there's travel quarantines uh, it's it's a different ball game are we actually going to see any overseas students coming in under these new rules for the foreseeable future well i i, I think Certainly, uh, a lot of my clients are, are desperately hoping that that, w- that we will do. Um, I, I don't know if you saw. I'm, I'm sure, sure you did that. Um, the Home Office published their visa statistics for the second quarter of 2020, and there was a something like a 99% fall in the number of student visas issued uh, compared with the, the the previous year. Now, the second quarter is, is not the busiest time as far as visa uh, student visas are concerned. The sort of student surge takes place over the summer and then uh, into the autumn as as in-country extension applications are being submitted. So I think uh, 
quarter three statistics will be really interesting uh, to see what, what, what's happened. Uh, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's uh, a particularly brave um, uh, projection or, or, or assumption to, 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 to guess that those uh, figures are going to be vastly down on on, on previous years. Um, I, I know that a lot of education providers are, are sort of working with students on January intakes or possibly Easter, or, or and a lot of students are also deferring till next next September. So yes, I, I'm I'm sure numbers will be down. That doesn't necessarily mean that students aren't starting studying. They might be in their home home country and studying remotely. And and in fact, you know the the guidance that the Home Office have issued uh, in relation to coronavirus for tier four sponsors says that that's absolutely fine. Oh, right. That's interesting. So you might have a higher overseas student population on universities' books than are actually physically present in the country. Yes, yes, I think that's I think that's right. Yeah, so so, so distance learning is, is happening and, it, and that might continue for the next... Well, what are we what are we thinking? One, two, three terms. It's anybody's guess, isn't it? Really. Let's not try to predict. That's no. too depressing. <laughs> no. uh, Tom, that's been extremely interesting and helpful. We're coming up on time, so we'll leave it there. That was Tom Brett Young, uh, immigration solicitor and partner at VWV. If you don't already know, Free Movement is a website publishing updates, commentary, training, and advice on UK immigration and asylum law. Visit us at www.freemovement.org.uk where you can read much more about student visas and all manner of things besides. Until next time.